Assalamu alaikum everyone, I hope you guys are doing well. Today we had the honor of having the CEO of National Zakat Foundation. We started off the convo talking about his Hajj journey. He's been going on Hajj ever since 1989. He's written books on Hajj, Umrah, lived in Saudi, spoke about stories. You guys will absolutely love that. And then we got to ask every single question you could think of about Zakat. Everything you need to know, inshallah, will be today in the episode. And I hope you guys do enjoy it. Remember to write things down, enjoy it, spread the word. And Ramadan Mubarak. You're known as the Hajj guy. Right. You know, you give your Hajj workshops every year. Everyone has to go to it to kind of make the most of it. So I'd love to know how that originally started. Because everyone goes on Hajj, you know, yeah. at least one time in their lifetime. But then how do you go from the stage of going on Hajj to Hajj groups and then to teaching people how to run Hajj groups? It's like, you know, can you tell us a little bit how that journey can started? We start it a bit? Yeah, Bismillah. Yeah. Bismillah. <laughs> Bismillah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So is the camera on? The camera's on. Yeah. All right. All right. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Jazakallah khair, brothers. Yeah. So my journey on Hajj started, um, it wasn't a planned journey, right? It was way back in 1989. Mm. Just got married. And we, my wife and I were just sitting and chatting and say, my parents had just gone for Hajj the year before. Um, and we just, it was just a off-the-cuff decision. Let's go for Hajj. There was no studying or in a, like a you know you attended a workshop or something where you got motivated. It was just one of those things, Allah's will. And then uh, we that year's um, it was we were going with the Malaysians, and there was probably about maybe not even two hundred people that would go on Hajj in, the, in those years, and it was it cost two thousand dollars including all the airfare and everything, and um. we went for a whole month. I wish I could go yeah. for that much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so. There was just my our first year in Hajj, and I studied. We studied for a whole year, and then when we got to Hajj, we didn't remember anything, right? Mm. We memorized all the du'as for each uh, tawaf and everything, but when we actually got there, we didn't remember anything. Had a really, really beautiful Hajj, enjoyed it a great deal and stuff, and then came back to Australia. Um, that was 1989. So 1990, I actually applied for a job to work in Saudi, and I'm, I got the job. And then I went to, to, to Saudi, uh, it was like um, uh, May, uh, May May of that year, 1990. And I didn't actually realize I was landing right in before the Hajj as well again. You know, like my mm. mind wasn't about Hajj mm. and the times, mm. not, not even there. So as we landed in Saudi, I was there two, three days. Somebody said, you want to go for Hajj? Because we were like living there now. I was yeah. by myself. My, the family was behind. And they said, yeah, let's go. So we kind of went on a car with a group of people. And then we were doing Hajj with these guys, and the Hajj that year was so different from the year before, mm. right? And I realized, okay, wow, how different is this now? Because I learned more, I knew a little bit more. And then we started, we stayed in Saudi, and then the next year, I got an opportunity again to go for Hajj again, right? So this is 1991. And that Hajj again was so different in, in, in what we were doing and the understanding. I realized, man... First Hajj we did, man, we were just like basically going on yeah. a prayer and a wing, right? Yeah. But it's still one of the best Hajjs you remember. And then I started working at uh, one of the Dawah centers in Jeddah as a teacher. Um, and uh, we started te we're teaching new, new Muslims. And f I was the only one that was could speak English f about the Hajj and stuff. So I started teaching Hajj to new Muslims. And every year, the Dawah center would take these new Muslims for Hajj. And I would be the group leader. So my best group, or the biggest group we ever had that I led, was 600, 600 new Muslims Mashallah. to go for Hajj. It's in the early 90s. This is probably 1994, 95. Yeah. And then while we were living there, every year people would come from South Africa, from Australia, 
And, you know, f- just by default, I would be helping them, taking them here, mm. then advising them, started learning more about it, understanding stuff. And then I was used to take notes. I used to hand out some notes to people, say, remember, the, these are the du'as, da-da-da-da-da. And then somebody said to me one day, why don't you just write, why don't you write a book on this? I thought about it. So I started collecting information, started taking notes. I started remembering everything. I would wake up in the morning, I'd remember something. I had a notebook next to my bed. I would just write it in there. For six years, that's all I did. Just collect information. Mm. Right? I started formulating it. And then that's how I wrote my book. I was going to call it The Hitchhiker's Guide to Hajj. But then they said, no, it probably won't sell. So that's where the, the, the story of, the, of the, the book came about. But then each year subsequently to that, we would take either new, a group of new Muslims to Hajj or we'd be taking some group that came from Australia or South Africa on Hajj. And the book's called How to Get getting the, best the Best... Getting the Best Out of Hajj. Okay. So the idea was not to write the book on fiqh of Hajj, but it does have the fiqh of the Hajj in there, which was reviewed by quite a few of the scholars in Saudi at the time. But it's more about the practical aspects of Hajj and what is it, why do you have to do Hajj? Mm. Because when I studied the first year, first time I went, I studied and memorized things. And I forgot it when I got there. Mm. But I didn't understand what was I doing and why, why I was doing it. Right? Mm. So I felt that part was missing, where people needed to understand what's the value of the Hajj, what are you going to get out of it, and why do you need to go? That's what the book's about. And then also giving the tips about, so like I have some really, really fancy tips, right? So because all of these I would learn, like the best ways of get to the, getting to the toilet mm. and how to put on your ikram, how to put Vaseline between your legs without mm. lifting up your ikram, all of mm. the fancy things. I got all of that in my book. So it's more like a real practical guide of how to perform hajj. And mashallah, um, still till now. So I wrote the book, had it, I struggled to get it published. So there was uh, the uh, brother in the UK, Message of Islam. They said they were going to publish it. So they published the first version, which is in color. It took a long time to get published. And then before I left Saudi in 2005, I needed to hand the book over to somebody because my goal was basically to have it published. In, 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 in. So I, I s- kind of sold the rights to the book to Dar es Salaam in, in, in Saudi. And they said, look, they'll publish it and basically... Uh, that was what I wanted. Mm. They would publish. Two, three years later, still nothing happening. I had to follow up, follow up. And then some they sent me a message. Oh, we published your book. We published your book. I was so happy. They sent me a copy and they published the Umrah book. So I had an Umrah version of it. Okay. And oh. I had the Hajj version. <laughs> so the Umrah version is a white book, actually. Mm. It's just basically uh, about Umrah and Umrah and Ramadan. And all of that it was sort of a subset of the Hajj. So this is the wrong book you guys published. Right? <laughs> yeah. They said, no, no, we thought, okay, we'll start with this one. And then the next year, they published the Hajj book. Mm. And alhamdulillah, it's it's uh, uh, it's been selling since way two thou- year two thousand, and uh, we're trying to do an updated version. But each time we start, so many changes happen. Now, like even all the changes. So we're just waiting. But when I wrote it, I made sure that I wrote ninety nine percent of it. That's not time bound. Mm. So the information there is not time bound. It's not like it will change. There's a couple of things there that might change because of the doors and the numbers, whatever. Mm. But there's nothing really in there that's based on 1990 or based on 2000. It's about the practicalities of how to perform Hajj and how to understand. So you've been doing Hajj from 1989 to pretty much like maybe 2019. 2018. Because COVID. 2019, yeah, yeah, because of COVID. So, I mean, I was just talking to somebody yesterday. If you ever, if you were in the Hajj business, so I'm not in the Hajj business. Like, I don't have it as a business. It's just my, my passion. Mm. Yeah. And and I that all I do is go as a guide. I, I don't, uh, I'm not financially involved in any of, of Hajj. 
and I and I intentionally don't want to do that because you know I just want to love, enjoy, do this. Mm. So if and I was just talking to somebody yesterday, said if you're in the Hajj business, there's you would say to yourself, there's never ever time where this business would run out, right? Like That's true, when yeah. would Hajj ever stop? You would think like I've got it down pat. I mean, COVID just really, really brought us mm. brought to bear, you know how feeble things are. And for the last two years, we've been unable to go. How, what's mm. the plan this year? So this year. We're planning to go, inshallah. The rules, the 100% rules is not out yet, but there's rumor that they'll reduce the numbers by 50 to 70%. Okay. Which means they'll only have 30% of the normal numbers. What's the normal numbers? like? So the normal numbers is about two and a half, three million. Okay. Right. Is there, a, like, uh, maybe you've heard the rumors about, like, now you said 50 to 70%, then next year 50, the next year 30. Is there, like, a goal in four to five years or even two to three years that it will be, like, back to normal? That's the plan. Uh, we hope so because I think it's it's hard for the Saudis or anybody to make a plan knowing with the the, the COVID being mm. the way it is, right? I mean, uh, in, in November we were fine, and then suddenly January, mm. December, January was completely different, right? So it's from month to month. Everything's opening. We don't even know that uh, Feb, March, or April would be any different. So I think once things settle down, when the pandemic becomes and uh, what do they call it? Uh, post-COVID world. Yeah, post-COVID world. Or when it's sort of settled down, mm. when ping things are back to normality, then maybe things will normally improve. Mm. And then people will realize, look, you know, I had in 2000, beginning of 2019, um, January, we said, okay, this year, we're going to go early to do the Hajj marketing and we're going to go early to do uh, uh, this, the lessons. So I was in January, I was in Auckland to, 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 to get a Hajji, sign all of the Hajjis mm. up and talk to them, motivate and stuff like that. When I came back from home, that was it. It's just gone. So where do you go to give these Hajj workshops? Anywhere where anybody wants to have me. Is it normally like New Zealand and around Australia? Because I know you come to Melbourne and stuff like that. I've been to, I go to London, I go to Malaysia, I go to South Africa. So everybody invites me. So mm. I basically do it for free. Inshallah. So mm. I don't charge to go. And, you know, if I'm going there, I, I even pay my own airfare to go. It's not because of whatever. I just enjoy, love doing it. Yeah. Mm. And you want to spread the knowledge that Te others teaching. I love with. teaching the subject of Hajj. I can, sp I can talk for 24 hours mm. nonstop on the Hajj because it's it's such a beautiful pillar. It's, uh, I'm, you know, to teach people to see. And when I have Hajjis for the first time, in the first timers, it's just so beautiful to see their faces when we're done. Um, and, you know, like we, we tell them, look, during the Hajj is going to get tough. Things are going to get hard. And bear with us. You know, you might feel think we're crazy, but just bear with us. Because when we finished, when we finished, you will really, really feel like you've achieved something. Mm. So we'll go for Hajj and say, Oh, that was easy, you know. Didn't do much because they did just, just skipped so many so many monastic. You'd be fascinated to see how many things people actually skip. How they find rules about this, oh I've been this mother says this, this is this, this is this, and they don't follow the the, the monastic. It's funny. The two pillars where the Prophet said, do as you see me do, like Prophet said, take your hajj rights from me. Meaning like, do what I'm going to show you. And I've Prophet made hajj once. Mm. Which means there was no other way to do it. He only did it once. So there's no like, oh, and this year he did like this. and this. No, only mm. once he did. There's the wisdom. Mm. But there's so many people with so many different variations. Mm. The second, the other pillar is salah. Prophet pray as you see me pray. How many variations of prayer do you see? Mm. So this is actually uncanny that the two pillars of Islam clearly instructed us to follow him specifically. Mm. We have too many ways to do it. Mm. That's one of the things I try to teach people about uh, uh, the rules of Hajj. Mm. Uh, 
is that why? Because I know the Prophet did one Hajj. I'm not too sure. I know there's different types of Hajj. I think there's like three, and he did the Hajj. I forgot the was Fraud. He did. He did get uh, the the uh, Kiran with Hajj and Umrah and one Ihram. And one Ihram. So is that what you encourage people when you go in these groups? Do you encourage that? So what? so what I do is we tell the people. I teach people and we explain to people that. When we read in our salah, we say, Allahumma sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Sayyidina Muhammad, we say that the Prophet sallallahu is the Sayyidina, he's the master. So we reaffirm that he's the master, he's the boss. So when you say basically, uh, when you want to do anything in Hajj, you're referring back to the master, the boss that said, this is how you do it. Allah has trained him to teach him how to do, right? So then when we come to this particular subject, we say, no, Prophet sallallahu did Quran, but we recommend you do Tamattu. But you just told us to follow mm-hmm. the Prophet <laughs> But that's what the Prophet said. He said, "If I knew what I, if I knew before what I know now, I would have not brought the sacrificial animals with me, and we would have cut our hair and come out of ihram and performed tamattu." Mm. So now I'm instructing all of you. I'm not. I'm not asking you. I'm not suggesting to you. I am instructing you. Prophet is actually instructing them, meaning he's giving them an order. All of those companions was with him who did not bring their sacrificial animals with them has to cut there and come out of ihram and change their intention to tamattu. So it's a rule about those that had their animals with them the, the, for the for the sacrifice for the for the for the for the, uh, for the hadith, they could not change their intention. So that's why the person performed Quran. So that's why the the recommended method for anybody outside coming outside is is, is tamattu. Mm. Is that because it the Prophet Muhammad didn't want it to be a burden on the people? Yeah, is that why? There's a couple of things. Some of these things we can guess this, this, the wisdom in things, right? But where if we as Muslims, when at the time of the Prophet they say, we obey, we yearn, we obey. Mm. Right? Now today it's like, okay, explain to me why. Give me 10 yeah. reasons why. <laughs> no, I've got my own opinion. Mm. And something you just need to say at the end of the day, listen and obey. Mm. Now, what's the wisdom in Obviously there is. But let's say I gave you the wisdom now. And you're going to say, no, I don't agree with your wisdom. Like in Ramadan, why do we fast? Many people say, oh, we want to feel like this. When we no. The only reason we fast is because Allah has instructed us to fast. Mm. Mm. Simple. Right? That's mm. it. Khalas, nothing else. You, you think you want to fast if you didn't want instructed to? Mm. <laughs> no. You're not going to fast. So what we do is, is say basically the follow, the follow the Prophet in what he said and we need to do. So he said, do tamattu for those who bring the animals with them. So these days, nobody has the animals with them. Right, you can't <laughs> get on the plane with a couple of sheep from Australia. <laughs> and so, so, technically speaking, or theoretically speaking, nobody ha- can do any other Hajj except Tamattu coming from overseas. Mm. The ones who live in Makkah do Ifrad, so those are for the people of Makkah, mm. and those who are coming from locally, whatever they it's actually Quran is for them. So, it's very easy to understand once you get it. But if you just say, "Look, I'm Tamattu has the most actions and the most reward," mm-hmm. and I want to know with like your when you go for speeches and you explain these things to people, how much how close is it to like their time and going to Hajj? Like, because I assume there's a specific time like they need to fathom everything. They need to get the right. It depends uh, on which country you're in. Okay, so, so in South Africa is an example. They study two years, one year from the beginning. They study to go and they, they go years. for lessons week after week, lesson after mm. lesson. They go, they go, they go, they go. Then in Australia. The guy's a couple of weeks out and they're going to get <laughs> ready, right? So I say basically, I have people on our Hajj group that's actually with us already in Mecca. There's no clue what they're doing. No idea. Wow. No idea. So Hajj is actually quite unique. 
And that's why the pillars itself, the five pillars, besides the pillar one, which is take the, taking the shahada, the other four are not dependent on each other. So it doesn't mean you have to pray, fast, or pay a zakah to go on hajj. doesn't mean you have to pray, that then you can pay zakah. Or you can pay zakah without praying or fasting, whatever. So they're all independent, so to speak, right? Um, so you get people that's gone for hajj, they've never prayed in their life. Amazing. It's amazing. You ask them, why are you here? I don't know, I just felt I needed to come. Yes, but that's from Allah. Yeah. And I mean, when those people, after Hajj, they're completely different people. Yeah. You know, Hajj is, uh, each Salah, we get a chance to, from each Salah to the next Salah, get a chance to clean our sins, you know, to, get to, to, be, to, to wipe away our sins. Then from Friday to Friday, then from Ramadan to Ramadan, and, and then Umrah from Umrah to Umrah. Yeah. And then Hajj is sort of the vaccination for a lifetime. <laughs> so you get a chance now. You come back like a newborn child. If people can only appreciate that's what it's about. Mm. right? That's what it's about. The best thing that can happen to you after Hajj is to die. Mm. Like that's true. It's like, this is like, halas, I'm, I'm, I'm as clean as you can get. Mm. So that's why uh, uh, going for the Hajj, and a lot of people, that's why they went in the earlier days, they used to go when they were older. They felt, look, you know, like, I don't want to come back and be religious. <laughs> <laughs> like they didn't want to be religious. They just basically mm. wanted to live a nice life. And at the end of this, I'll go and, and make Toba and then die. It's a dangerous road. Yeah. Dangerous road because you ca you're not guaranteed that you're going to get there. Mm -hmm. And you're not, like even for the Umrah people I spoke to the other night, they said, you can plan as much as you like. You're not guaranteed to be there. You need to be invited to be there. But you need to make that move. For example, like if, if you say to me, visit me when you come to Melbourne. right? Mm. But if I never come to Melbourne, I never make the intention to come to Melbourne. I'm never going to be accept be able to accept your invitation. Allah says, visit my house. But you need to make the intention to go to Makkah. Mm -hmm. Then Allah will give you that invitation to come to the house. Mm. So people think, oh man, you know, how can I go? I don't know. This is like even now people, oh, you know, I'm worried about this, worried about that. Like 2019, when people were planning to go, nobody's gone for two years now. Right? And they would never have thought they couldn't go. And even at that uh, when the brothers, they paid away the deposit and stuff like this. And one of the brothers, when I spoke to him a few months later, he said, oh, I took my money back, took my deposit back. I said, did you have to do that? He said, no, 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 I just, I don't know when we're going. Said, you just cancelled your intention. You just cancelled your intention. You should have left your deposit and your money there, which means I made my intention. Whenever it opens up, I'm going. Mm -hmm. well, what you've just done is basically cancel your intention. So if you die mm -hmm. from now and then, your near wasn't there. You didn't go. And, and the shaitan, it will be harder. The next shaitan's going to fight you and say, no, no, no. You used to have money. Now you don't. don't Should you be spending 10, 15? You should just keep the money. Fine. Save your money for high So I want to know because I'm thinking like certain people my age as well, like we do have the intention, of course. How can you not like, you know, of going Hajj eventually. People say eventually when you get married, have kids, whatever. But then what do you recommend for the first steps in taking action towards that intention for people our age? Any person who goes for Hajj regrets that they didn't go earlier. Every single person that's there regrets that they didn't go earlier. So I mean, like for you guys, you're fairly young. Mm. You might not regret I could have come a few years ago. But I'm talking like, let's say from the age of 30 up, or 40 maybe, people regret that they didn't come earlier because Hajj requires a lot of physical thing. And people are up and down the haram, whatever. They felt if they had that health and that energy, they would have enjoyed it much more. Mm. So, uh, uh, um, and, and, and I've seen so many people, the Hajj itself basically turns their whole life around. The way they think, the way... They, as a matter of fact, they did it to me. When I went in 1989, as I said, there was no, there was no like, 
motivation. There's just just a decision that Allah allowed me to make that decision at that point. After that, my whole life was different. The way I saw things, the way I think, the way I behaved. And so people say, I'm not ready. Right? That's the person that needs to go. <laughs> that's the one true. is not ready. Yeah. Because that's what Hajj is for. Right? So like if we're all sitting here, we're all nice and clean, we're all at a shower, and one guy comes in, he's just played soccer or a game, whatever, he's the one who needs to shower, right? Mm. He's the one who needs to go. So similarly, the one who's not ready needs to go. How about now, like for example, I know it's it's a hot time of year to go to Hajj. You know, a lot of people use that excuse where I'll wait maybe five years when it's not as hot. Like uh, we always make excuses to Shaitan, you know, he's, he's smart like that. And we're going to just, yeah, we'll wait. You know, finances isn't the best and stuff like that. Because I know maybe when you have a certain amount of money, you should go. How about like that kind of stuff? Like So when I went the first time was 1989, I said in June. I didn't even pay any attention to the weather, nothing. Mm. I, I, I don't know what happened, what was, <laughs> what I was thinking. I'm normally <laughs> a person who's, who's structured and think about things, mm. right? But this is one of those random things mm. we did, right? Didn't think about the weather. So we got in, in the bus from the airport, we got on the bus, we were driving to Medina, and we the bus stopped halfway, and we got off the bus. And I tell you, it was walking like into wall. Mm. It was it was 40 degrees. Wow. 40 degrees. And it was like, you. I was walking into a wall. And I thought, oh, is this? And then even now, for the last few years, because the, the Hajj is moving into summer, just we're standing outside the Haram praying Fajr. We're praying Fajr. And I don't know why they do this. They got a th- thermometer on the wall. Of the haram <laughs> to make it worse, <laughs> and it is thirty-six degrees at Fajr time. <laughs> at Fajr time, right? So now it's going into the summer, and I said, "Look, there's never the right time. Now is the right time. When you have the money, the time, just go, because mm. you don't know about your health, you don't know about your money. Um, many families they get married, they say, oh, you know, like we'll go, uh, and then they have one, the first child. Oh, we'll wait for this child to go to school, and have a second child, wait for that one to go to school." And once you're in that particular mode, you ain't going to go for the next 10, 15 years. Because mm. the kids, the oldest, and people, oh, and you can't leave my children, da, 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 da. Mm. So if, you, if you're newly married, you're single, best thing to do is go. Now, we've got two, two young couples who got married in Sydney, family friends, and the grandpa, the, the, the two boys married two cousins. Okay. Right? And uh, the grandpa, the grandfather of the girls, gave as a gift to both couples, Hajj. SubhanAllah. May Allah reward him. Yeah. Mm. And I said to them, you guys better go soon. Mm. Go. Like, that's what we did. Me and my wife, we went very, very early. Um, and then before we had any children. So, um, because once you have children, it's very, very hard to go. Mm. But the young guys like yourself, mm. they really enjoyed, um, what, 15 years ago, there would have been uh, maybe 20% was younger, I would say 30 and under. And then 70-80% uh, was the older people. Now it's the reverse. These days, most of the people on Hajj is quite young. It's very good to hear. It's mm. quite I young. didn't know that, yeah. yeah mm. quite a lot, lot of youngsters go. I wanted to also touch on the idea where sometimes, because you spoke before about going on Umrah, I think next week you're going, inshallah, inshallah, and you went in November, and you went on Hajj like every year consistently. Sometimes when you do something so much, you kind of lose the love for it. You know, obviously you said it's a passion, maybe Hajj, but how about like Umrah? Was there a time where you kind of like, you know, that struggle? I think Imam, Imam Malik says you shouldn't go on Umrah like more than once a year. Like that's for people in Medina because it becomes just a normal habit and it's not like a love and a yearning yeah. for it. What's your um, take on that? Because you had the experience that many times. That's what happens. But the funny thing is the, the, the thing that the biggest problem I have is when I go with the groups, I forget that 
they don't they I, I'm too quick and they don't understand what I say. So I give an example. We d- we're coming from Medina to Mecca. We got two bus loads and uh, the buses stop halfway for us to pray, right? So the bus stops, I'm jumping off the bus, going to the masjid, coming to pray, and I come out of the bus and everybody's still on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going, What are you guys doing? And they're going, What are we supposed to do? Mm. You just got off the bus. Mm. So I just like I, I'm so natural, so natural, so so used mm. to it yeah. that I'm getting off the bus. We're going to pray. I just forget that I need to tell everybody yeah. on the bus yeah. what are we doing next, right? Um, so from an individual point of view, yes, you do, you do feel like that sometimes, but COVID has has really, really um, taught us a lesson about this. Example, when um, when they came with the vaccination rules, I said, look, I'll take a jab in every leg, mm. every arm, because I know. When it comes to open up to go to Hajj or Umrah, mm. you're gonna be vac- have to be vaccinated. Mm. So that's what I did, like because that was my goal. That as soon as they open, I'm out of here. Mm. So they opened what sixth of November, eighth of November, I was out of here. Subhanallah, mm. right? Because Mecca is sort of my home. But yes, you sometimes get there, you take it for granted. And so hence why I try to stay in the non-business aspect of the Hajj and Umrah. I love just taking and helping people. And that's the passion. That's what I really enjoy doing. Mm. So the group we're taking next week, there's probably a, half of them are first timers. So the first timers are the ones like, you know, they're hungry, they want to feel, they want to mm. see what are we mm. doing next, where are we going, da da da. So that's really what keeps me wanting to go. And when I when I'm away for too long from Mecca, I kinda it's I kinda miss it. It's sort of my I think as well, you not going alone changes things because you're going with new people each time. So they're getting a new experience and you're a part of that. So you're really helping other people while you're doing Umrah. But people are going to go on Umrah with th- by themselves every three months. You eventually becomes like repetitive. Depends on why you do it. It's like Salah, I guess. right? It's like Salah. You pray every time and you keep in your, the khushu you have. And go but when we stayed there, we used to go to Umrah quite a bit. Mm. Right? So yeah, right. You, from a human nature point of view, it can. It can mm. happen. It probably does. But you, if you're just conscious of that, then then you can work with that. How about when people go on Umrah? Because I know some people go on Umrah and do like three, four, five a day. You know, so once once again we come back to the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, where the Prophet ﷺ, when he went for Umrah. So how many Umrahs did the Prophet ﷺ perform in his lifetime? He got the reward for four, four and he yeah. did three. Yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, 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 and when the Prophet ﷺ came to Makkah and the companions, they only like it's coming to your house. And the Umrah is basically welcoming and you do your Umrah. And then, so the Prophet only performed Umrah once when he came. He didn't go multiple times to perform Umrah, right? And then he said the best thing to do when you're in Makkah is to perform Tawaf. So once again, if we come back to what was in instructed to us, then that's what we should do. Go to Makkah, perform your Umrah, and then the next best thing you can do if you wanted to get the Ajr and rewards is to perform Tawaf. Mm. So a lot of the people that uh, make Umrah multiple times, actually get so tired and they sleep during the Fard Salat times. So, you, so that's what shaitan will do. Shaitan will make you feel like this is very important and there's more reward in this, but there isn't actually. He's actually making you sleep through the Fard Salat in the masjid. Mm. Okay. So there's some countries where guys actually take competition as to how many umrahs they can do. <laughs> people do, I've seen, in, 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 I've seen people do five umrahs a day. So if you can look at it from an Ibarra point of view, it's impractical and it's against the sunnah, so to speak, mm. to do it. It's not haram, yeah. mm. but it's if you look at the from a from a fiqh uh, way, it's against the sunnah to do that mm. because that's not what the Prophet told you to do. He said mm. best thing to do in Mecca is to make tawaf. So go and make tawaf. Mm. I wanted to also touch on because now Umrah and Hajj, 
you said some people like in South Africa practice like or start learning one or two years ahead. You know, people in Australia, that's probably a bit far-fetched. But what do you recommend at least for Umrah and Hajj? How um, early before departure day should they start studying or start preparing? There's nothing to study. Okay. What you need to understand is why you're going. What are you going to get from it? That's what you need to do. The, the, Im- the monastic is fairly simple. And then you can understand the monastic. So there's like, I, I often teach in the Hajj. So I've got my Hajj book, I've got my pocket guides. And I have this one flyer, I don't know if you've seen it, the pocket flyer that folds out. So one pager. Mm. And I say to people, for those who are lazy to read or come to lectures, at the end of the day, this is all you need. That's all you need. Okay. Right? Um, but understand why you are here. Understand the purpose behind the monastic we are performing. Do it with the correct intention and do it correctly. So even the Umar group asked me the other night, do I actually lead them in, in dua at the Safa and Marwa because they want the whole group? So said, no, this is against the Sunnah. Prophet did not. So the Umrah and the Hajj is an individual thing. It's between you and your Creator. Between you and Allah. Because you, the, it's all about dua and seeking Allah's forgiveness. And only you can ask for that mm. from the heart. In your language. Right? So there's no point in rattling off uh, duas that you have no clue or no understanding of. Because if you're asking Allah, you want to repent from something. You can only do that if you are sincere and really coming from the heart. Yeah. So that's the key to it. And then the monastic, if you, if you wanted to learn, it's, it's fairly simple. Very, very simple to learn. So basically, if you want to say you want to go on Umar with us next week, I need one hour with you and I'll have you prepped. I think we tend to overcomplicate ourselves 100%. just as an excuses 100%. to maybe not go that year. A lot of people, by the way, even for us, our first Umrah, our first Hajj, we just felt like we didn't do it justice. We didn't do it properly because you know you. And then they want to go again because now they got some experience, right? Yeah. So that's just human nature. Uh, people feel like that. Even my first Hajj, I felt after I did the subject, I was like, man, kind of missed out quite a bit things in that first one, but it wasn't intentional. But I still regard that first Hajj as one of my best ones because it was done with such naivety. You know, I was so naive about different things, and mm. but really, really feel like I was quite sincere about what we're trying to do right so that's what it comes down yeah. to i feel like you can always find something though yeah to like we'll improve yeah, your trip yeah, yeah, your, your new trip, experience yeah. that's why people want to go and they get th- that's why people uh, go for umrah multiple times and then mm. they, they become experts at it mm. like i was taking my colleague that went with me in november he went again in december that's how passion that's how in love he fell with it Inshallah. how's it now going during the COVID time because uh, we do have a couple friends that went but then only like a small percentage of people actually do get to go. So how is it going on Umrah now during COVID and stuff like that? It just that? requires a little bit extra uh, on your phone because you have to download these apps. One of the apps is to prove you're vaccinated. So you can only go into places to prove you're vaccinated. And the second app is to actually book to go into the haram. So what I like about the app, besides the fact that it just creates a little bit of overhead and admin, so for the older people, it's a bit more, bit more drama you know, on the show. But what it does, it actually teaches us, have taught us how to behave. right? So as Muslims, there's no more pushing and shoving in the Umrah. Because mm. they only allow a certain amount of people in, you have to register to go in, and they actually regulated it. The Hajj al-Aswat is closed, you can't kiss it. You can't kiss it. And I've said this for years. Shut, the, shut it down. Don't let people kiss it. Because the behavior of the people in Allah's house mm. is like so bad. The closest yeah. spot to yeah. Allah's house. Now, yeah. now, now it's so well. Re- I tell you, went to Medina and Roda. You've been to Roda, right? Yeah. Mm. Man, people tramping on your head and all sorts of stuff. You, you actually. The, and I remember in London when I was doing an election in London, Abdurrahim Green, one of the brothers, the the, the from London, very no well known uh, yeah, Rebert yeah. brother, 
early days. So he said, never ever take a revert. It was like one or two years for Hajj. He said, they went, I don't know if it was a 10 or 15 or 20 of them for Hajj. And he was the only one left standing as a Muslim after. Because when they see the behavior and how people behave, they go like, is this Islam? Mm. Yeah. But now, we went to Medina on the train. The train stopped in, in Medina station, which is about 20 minutes from the Haram, at 11.30 in the morning. By 1.30, we were in Rhoda. Because we made a booking, straight in, showed your booking, no pushing, no shoving. They take you in groups, 10 minutes, dua, everybody knows. Never in all mm. my years, in all my years, have I prayed so comfortable and peacefully in Rhoda like I did when I was there in November. And this is how it should have been all this the time. This is how it should be yeah. all the time. So I'm quite happy for that, yeah. for them to keep that structure. Yeah. So I remember Ali and I, we went a couple of years ago in Ramadan and then they obviously block it off at certain times because the sisters can yeah. come in and it was open for the guys for Fajr time. So this is like an hour before Fajr and we're just walking around uh, Masjid Nabawi and then someone opens these curtains and people start sprinting. <laughs> like actually sprinting. Like sprinting. <laughs> and then in my head I'm like, okay, let's just start sprinting. Where's it taking us? And then I stopped and I'm like, wait, you shouldn't sprint to prayer. Then I'm like, wait, I'm not running to a prayer. <laughs> I'm just running in the mosque. So I started sprinting and then it ended up being the road and I got in and I looked back and Ali didn't Make run it. and our friend, because he didn't, didn't run. He's like, yeah, no, I didn't sprint. you shouldn't be running to prayer. Then when I saw him, I'm like, we're not running to a prayer, running to a location. He goes, oh my God. And then the way people were shoving, yeah. like sprinting, pushing each other, I'm like, you don't even know where you're running, like me. And I was like, subhanAllah, I was like, at 5 a.m., at one of the most peaceful places in the world, people are still pushing each other just for like, you know. Mm. So like I had I had this really cool method of taking people into Rhoda. Like over the years, worked it out, how to get people into Rhoda and stuff. So that's not needed anymore. Mm. But there was a unique way of getting people in. Once we even got in, we still needed to push and get out, slowly work our way in. And you couldn't make salah properly. You couldn't, there's no way you can have khushu. People are tramping on your head. Yeah, right? people are watching so, you. So alhamdulillah, they that this particular COVID and the way they do it now is fix that problem. I think, I think there's a story. Maybe it's someone else. But is there a story with you going into the grave of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? No, or I didn't go into the grave. No. Okay, must have been someone else. One of the things that I did that was that's unique in in in, in Mecca is I, I actually managed to get inside the Kaaba. No, no way. Like inside the inside. semicircle? Or no, no, inside, inside, inside the actual Kaaba. Inside How did that happen? That's even better. <laughs> <laughs> when I was, when I was still working there, the, they were busy renovating the the the, the Kaaba and stuff. And then I had a very close Saudi friend of mine who worked with me, and he he would go to Makkah all the time. And he said, guys, they this every now and then they would allow people to go in. So in the middle of the day, he said, come, let's go for the water to Makkah. So we were like an hour away from from for for from Makkah. So we got in the car. And we went to the haram, and um, uh, we're standing there now. The guards there, he's like they're letting people in, and so the two of us come. So I've got like a, a shirt and tie and pants on, and he's in a thobe, right? So we come from because we come from work. So the guard says, like, wait, wait, <laughs> is this the Arabic? Where are you going with this guy? Like, sort of thing. Yeah, like, where's this guy going? <laughs> the haram, yeah, like, <laughs> so the, like you know, joking with him. He says, no, this is my colleague from work and stuff. Says, no, 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 like, you, you can't go in. You can go in. So he says, no, 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 can, can we go both? And the God says, no, 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 only one of you can go in. So you decide. So he says to my Saudi friend, you decide. Only one of you uh, will go uh, in, you decide. So this was like where you showed through friendship, right? Yeah. yeah. So the brother said to me, Yala, you go. So I went in. Alhamdulillah. And then it is so beautiful inside there. And you know, you can pray in any direction. Which direction did you pray in? I prayed, uh, I made two in, in, in each direction. Okay. In, in two different directions. Mm. And then when I was finished, I saw him inside because I knew that he's the type of guy 
that after the guard let me in, he convinced the guard to let him go, mm. right? But you wouldn't so be able to convince him because the shit no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. So <laughs> alhamdulillah, that was something that was very, very special. Very, mm. very special. When was this? That was probably 98. Is it still like frequent thing where they let people come or not as frequent anymore? To like go into the Kaaba? Into the Kaaba. No, no, no. They, they do the washing and stuff and they just let dignitaries in. Mm. And I remember the Prophet said yes. that if it if he wasn't afraid for the people's iman, he would have lowered the door of the Kaaba. Mm. You know, when they built it, oh, yeah. he would have lowered the door because he knew that this was going to happen. Like, because the door's so high, they will just mm. let special dignitary type people into, into yeah. there. Even I was learning the fiqh of like why they kept the Kaaba like a square and then that semicircle, like outside. Because the idea, it's like, example that's not how the Kaaba was originally and then different khalifas would knock it down and then rebuild it uh, you know and then it's like what should we do but then now that semicircle if you pray in that you technically get the reward of praying inside the Kaaba so it's like so a the beautiful the thing the, the, Kaaba, like the original side of the Kaaba is the, 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 the Kaaba itself including the Hijr which is called the Hijr oh, the mm. semicircle yes, yeah. but then in the time that this, this, the, the history of it is the fact that they didn't have enough halal money to complete the whole structure yeah. But this is the wisdom of Allah. So that, as you said, gives you an opportunity for the average person like yeah. ourselves to pray and technically pray inside the Kaaba. Yeah, mm. get the so reward. often when I teach the Hajj, you know, like when you're inside the Kaaba, when I'm physically inside, I can pray in any direction, right? Because that's literally so the yeah. direction. Yeah. So the Hijr is basically technically inside the Kaaba, right? Mm. So can I pray in any direction? Technically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, technically. Yeah, yeah, well, you look weird if you do. Yeah. Just imagine what's <laughs> going like to happen to you, right? Like it's right there's going to be an uncle. Yeah. There's going to be an uncle that's going to yeah. fix you up. Imagine yeah, if you face this <laughs> There's going to be an uncle to fix you <laughs> up. Subhanallah. It's a beautiful thing to hear. And now I think we'll maybe segue into another pillar of Islam that you're uh, well-versed in as well. Maybe we'll tell, because now we've touched on the Hajj story, how you kind of got into it. I'd love to know how you got into Zakat. Obviously, people can see the T-shirt, National Zakat Foundation, you know. Um, maybe you can let us know how you were introduced into that. So introducing to the zakah was also once again just by Allah's will, but secondly just by, by unplanned. So in 2000, I was working in one of the Dawah centers in Sydney uh, from 2005 when I got, came back from Saudi. Um, so we worked in the Dawah center. We had sort of collecting zakah every year from, you know, for the, everybody's collecting zakah, right? We were just collecting zakah, handing zakah left, right and center, send it here, send it there, not paying any attention to to um, you know the, the the logic or the wisdom behind it calculation we would not even calculate as a car we just hand as a car and then in 2013 one of the shiuch came and then he said look we want to establish uh, the national zakah foundation in Australia it was established in the UK in 2010 and it was based on the fact that in the Western countries the pillar of zakah needs to be established. And uh, so they came to Australia and they looked for p they were looking for people to establish NZF in Australia and Canada. So, so somebody, that I met with the sheikh and, uh, and another brother in the morning. We met with the whole group and he said, look, I need somebody to come on board and but these are my conditions. So basically he said, this is what I need from, this, from, from the group that's going to start this. And we were sitting there, we were just laughing, there's no way you're going to get people to do that. Because he, the, the sheikh that started is basically like very, very... Professional things need to be done properly, etc. So you know, when in Dawa, it's mm. <laughs> you know, mm. volunteers just do whatever we want whenever we want. But then after the meeting, the brother that was with him said, he said the sheikh asked him, okay, out of all of those guys that I just met, give me one person that we need to go after to to to, to that can do this for us. So they called me back. They we had a, a coffee, and then he said, look, do you want to think about this? You want to have a go at this? And then, look, I'll make his tihara. I'll think about it. And that's, that's just it. So we yeah. said, okay, we had no money. 
no cases. But from our work in, 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 in our organization I worked in, we realized there are people in need. We've seen that. But we had no money. So we launched on 7th of July 2013, a week out from Ramadan. We said, okay, we're going to launch NZF. And uh, the UK was helping us with the branding and stuff. Yeah. And, stuff. and then the 8th of July, the very next, so the 7th of July, we were launching at Al-Kotar course in Sydney. And we collected on day $170 you know, f- to get us going. So the very next day, we had our first case. During that very first Ramadan, which is a week later, we started promoting and asking for people to give us zakah. We were, I was hoping to raise 20,000. We raised 167,000 in zakah uh, in that first Ramadan. That's 2013. So since 2013, we have started, we have realized how important zakah is and how powerful zakah is. Hmm. So now, eight years later, I'm, I could say I'm probably more passionate about zakah now or equally passionate about zakah mm-hmm. than I am about hajj. Because once again, it's a pillar that people just take for granted. An example, when people people understand the, the, the shahada, right? And there's a specific thing you need to say. You can't just say whatever you want to become a Muslim, right? You have to say yeah. the shahada. Alas. When it comes to salah, we pray five times a day, specific times, specific number of units, very clear rules, two units, three units, exactly. We know it's very precise. You can't make up the numbers. You can't pray whenever you want to pray. You can't decide, I'll pray. Like now, you can't decide, now. okay, I'll just pray two sunnahs. You've got to have a reason for whatever yeah. you're praying. right? So it's very precise. Look at the most difficult prayer, Fajr, changes the time most, the most. Yeah. Of all the prayers, the Salah movement is Fajr. It moves quite a bit, right? So that's, for, you know, that's a hard one. Then you come to uh, Ramadan fasting. Very specific rules. Time of fasting start, time it finishes, what breaks your fasting, what to do, everything is very precise, very clear. Then it comes to Hajj. Very precise. You know, six days of Hajj in, 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 in 13th, the 8th to the 13th of the Hijjah. Right? Mm. In, Mac- in, in Saudi. You can't go anywhere. You can't go to Pakistan. You can't go to Malaysia yeah. to do Hajj. Yeah. You can't do it in Australia. Very, very precise. Everybody stands and studies it. When it comes to zakah, everybody's an expert now. Everybody just assumes they'll do whatever they want. They don't care about calculation. They say, oh, I'll guess it. <laughs> I think I owe this much. No, no, no. Oh, on your business, do you know how much zakah? I'll just guess, guess it, estimate it. How come? How come? The calculation of zakah is the most important aspect of the ibadah itself. Calculating your zakah is one of the strongest acts of ibadah in zakah. Because it is you and Allah by you calculating. So you can say, I've got 500, I've got 1,000. <laughs> you can lie, you can <laughs> pretend you don't know about stuff. Now it is between you, it's, 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 it tes- tests your iman. Yeah. Right? And it's, you, are, you are meant to calculate this properly. You are meant to make sure that I know exactly what I'm calculating. If you have a business, and you do your tax, your bass, whatever they call it, right? You go through all of this stuff because you don't want to pay too much tax. You don't want to pay too little tax. Mm. You want to make sure I've got the government's rules right. Allah's rules is the same. So this is the calculation. Then what are the understanding about the fiqh of zakah? Now people say, okay, oh, I give zakah to my auntie, I give zakah to my family. Yeah, I give do you know if they're eligible or not? Mm. Of course they're eligible. What are the rules? What are the eligibility rules? 
to give somebody zakah. Nobody knows. Mm. Very few people understand. Yeah. How do you actually assess whether a person is zakah eligible or not? Mm. Right? So, how come we can just give to anybody when in the Quran, it's already defined the eight categories. So Allah defines the category specifically so we can understand and learn. We, can, we, can't, we can't make a ninth category. You can't decide who you think is eligible. Allah has already ordained that for you. Mm. So when it comes to the pillar of zakah, this is what we do. Our key focus is education. Now, once again, people say, there's no zakah needed in Australia. So, we only have four pillars in Australia. Muslims, Australian Muslims only have four pillars, guys, mm. because we get Centrelink. How does that make sense to anybody? Mm. Like we got a sheikh the other day emailing us and said, look, because of Centrelink, I want to know how can you justify giving people zakah in Australia? This is a sheikh asking us this. Now, do you think Allah's deen mm. has only a uh, few pillars for different countries? Mm. A, the five pillars is in every place of this earth and they apply everywhere the same. So you can't say there's no zakah required in Australia. Just an example, you ask the people, okay, what are the eight categories? They don't know. Mm. What's the and they say? Okay, let's make it easy for you. What's the last category? Don't know. The last category is the wayfarer. Do you know what a wayfarer is? No. Okay. The wayfarer is a person who's gone to a country and a place who got stuck there. How many people are stuck in Australia during the COVID the last mm. two years? Mm. So if that person walks to the masjid and says, "Hey, I'm from uh, Pakistan. I've, I'm stuck here. I can't go anywhere. I've got no money. I'm here to collect my zakah because I'm now eligible." Mosque is gonna go. No, we don't have money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sending to my family back yeah. home. Yeah. I don't. Know, I don't have any money. But mm. that person, it's his hak. It is. It is his money. Like the tax man, he says he take twenty five percent, whatever he takes from you. You know that's not your money. You won't put it in your budget. Similarly to zakat, the twenty two and a half percent of your money does not belong to you. It belongs to that person. The person in debt is category number six. So everybody knows fukara. That's all. Everybody knows the poor. So what's happened over the last so many years, they've joined zakah with charity. Zakah is not charity. Zakah is a pillar. So we have to understand that we have to implement the pillar of zakah to get the benefits from it. So it's not only about money. The zakah is about the welfare, physical, financial, and emotional well-being of a person. And the pillar is designed to uphold the other four pillars. Why do you think people go after the, the vulnerable? The churches go after people. Because when you're hungry, when you're struggling, that's when you're most vulnerable. Zakah is designed to make sure the Muslims in any country in that community does not reach this level. We have to protect the iman of the people who are struggling. So this is fuqara. Then what's next, masakin? What's masakin? Oh, somebody has... 10% of their whatever, whatever. People go, they, they try and guess the stuff. Did, did a fit class two years ago. What's Masakin? Is the poor, is the needy. What's a needy person? Prophet gave the definition of a needy person. He said, a needy person, you will not be able to tell and they won't ask you for help. So how are you going to find the person? So you're going to tell me, mm, you know how a person is needy? Most of our needy people, when you look at them, you will never say this person is in need. But once you sit down and listen to their story and what the situation they're in, you just go, you can see why the pull of zakah is there. What's the third category? Amalina leha. Meaning, Prophet Allah says, poor, needy, amalina leha. The, the people who work in the zakah, pay them to do this. So what does it mean? It means, 
This is not designed for the average person to, do, to distribute zakah. Because Allah says, for the people collecting and distributing, pay them to do this. So this gets done holistically and properly. Mm. Right? It's like praying in Jama'ah and praying by yourself. So you build the mosque, you pray at home. So the road is in the masjid. For everybody, that's why we build masjids. So in Australia, as an example, up till 2013 when we, were, when, we, when we went there, there was no place of people going to get their zakah. You could give zakah, but there was no avenue for somebody to say, I need zakah. Where, where, where am I going to go? So the fartki fire when we have when we bury somebody, we have actually taken that responsibility from the Australian community by establishing the pillar of zakah in Australia. So on the day of Qiyamah, at least the 17,000 people we've helped in the last eight years, at least they can't complain that they had nowhere to go to get their zakah. And it's not about overseas versus local. This is not the issue. Yes, we need to help our families and our people overseas and all of that, but that is not a zakah matter. It can be sadaqah. Mm. No, no, yeah. you can pay zakah, but it is not, this is not a zakah subject. You need to understand that it is a zakah subject. It's different from helping people overseas or locally. You need to understand the subject of zakah. An example, if, if they're going to build a mosque, mosque around the corner, yeah, and they're collecting money for the mosque around the corner, yeah, and some guy, so you got a thousand bucks, right? And you, you need to pray down the road because it's convenient for you. This is your local masjid. You, you, they're building a new masjid. So I come along and I'm collecting for a mosque somewhere else in the world. Where are you going to give your money to? Should be giving it to the local. Why? Because this is your mosque. This is your responsibility. Not there, mm. but there, yes. If you have enough here, khalas, we send there. So we don't want to get into them and us scenario. We just want to educate people about the power of this pillar of zakah and how beautiful it is and how it actually uplifts a community. So if a person is physically, financially, emotionally well, right, just how productive is that as Muslim? If we were all like that. But today we have so many things uh, that we struggle with just from as a community, right? So we're using the pillar of zakah to introduce and implement groundbreaking initiatives for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. An example, there is no drug rehab facility for Muslims specifically in this whole country. Mm. That, that is Muslim specific for Muslim sisters or brothers. Right? We've talked about it 20 years ago. In 20 years from now, we'll still talk about it. Right? There is no proper uh, 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 places where sisters who are in refuge or homeless can go and being protected. So there are many people doing good work working this. But we're saying... We need to build out the capacity for us as a community that over the next 20 years, we need to be, as Allah tells us, we are the best of the nations. Mm, Let sure. us live up to that. And Allah has given us the means to live up to that. And zakah is the pillar that allows us as a community to step 10 levels up. So people can say, I want to be part of those guys. Because they look like they take care of the community. They look like they protect the community. They look like if, if there's a need, that's where I can go. So that's why one of our things, our themes is change tomorrow or hope. So we want to be looked at under the pillar of zakah as hope for people. Whatever the drama is, whatever you're struggling with, there is hope there for you to come to to get your help. So that's why we've established this pillar. And that over the last eight years now, each year we grow about education, how to calculate your zakah. And, and, and to calculate your zakah requires like a whole class, like a whole hour People say, okay, how do I calculate what's a one year? 
what's the nisab? How do I calculate two and a half percent? Right? Uh, 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 it, it sounds simple, but for the person who's never done it before, we say, reach out to us. We do the cut to us. We can talk to you. We can show it to you once in the fall, and it's done. Businesses don't understand that the inventory or like a like a shop that you have, all of that stuff is accountable. So if the tax man walks into your shop and says, oh, sir, based on what we've seen, your lifestyle, whatever, we think you owe us $20,000 in tax. We feel you were a bit bodgy on your tax. We say you owe us 20 grand. And this is the reason why we say you owe us 20 grand. What are you going to do? You're going to go to check every single of your inventory, make sure all the rules is to prove them wrong, or to prove them you only owe them 10,000. Right? Allah's law tells you, you have to pay zakah on this. So why don't you understand what is it that you have and to calculate your zakah properly? Mm-hmm. So that's a very important point. Calculate and understand that the pillar of zakah is needed in every single country of this world. When Prophet ﷺ sent Mu'adh ibn Jabal to Yemen, it took him only about four years to start sending the money back from Yemen to Medina. By that time, Abu Bakr Umar al-Khattab was the Khalifa. And he reached out to Muad and said, why are you sending the money back? The first time he sent some of it back, he said, no, I've, I've fulfilled my needs in Yemen. I'm sending whatever's left over back. The second year, he sent half of it back. And the next year, he sent all of it back. Hmm. So what we learned from this is that if implemented correctly, you can actually overcome and fix these issues in a community. And then once that community is strong and solid, now you can help the rest, the next community. So where's our next community? Who's the closest to us? In, in, in geographical terms, right? Mm. Who's the closest to New us? New Zealand. New Zealand? Yeah. Actually, when, when, when they had the Christchurch stuff, we, they, they, they asked us for help there. And because we're not international, we had to look at this. But we realized that New Zealand is closer to us than Perth. Well, yeah, it actually is. I think Sydney, yeah. Yeah. Subhanallah. Right? So from <laughs> a, forget about from a country perspective, geographically, New Zealand could technically be part of Australia's car thing, right? Mm. Then we have uh, Papua New Guinea, we have all of these little islands. So all of these things can categorically fall under our local arm of, of, of Sakar distribution. So that's how beautiful it is. Mm. You know, in Malaysia, they, they actually do it, the local part, they take to another level. So people who pay Zakat in Kuala Lumpur, if you're from Selangor and you come to Kuala Lumpur, you c- they can't give you Zakat from the Kuala Lumpur people. They o- you can only get your zakat in Selangor. So they do regions like regions. That. That's how local they t- take it. It's like us saying, right? Okay, only the people of Victoria. If you if you only collected fifty thousand from Victoria, we can only distribute fifty thousand in Victoria for mm. this year. Is that so a good thing? No, no. It's I guess but that's taking the fic of the local part to like another level, right? Yeah. Okay, to to another level. Mm. Yeah, so like in terms of you get to that level of efficiency. Yes. Mm. Yeah, it's all development. I think we can't answer all the questions, but I might still touch on a bit just sure. so people become a bit more well versed. You said Nisab, I think that's the n- gold and silver amount when you become accountable to give zakat. Is there like a rough estimation you could give of a number? So it's currently, uh, so every morning we look at the Nisab because we use the Nisab to assess people's uh, zakat eligibility. So that's what I'm saying. Does people know? Whether the person is eligible. So yes, of course I know. And they say, okay, what's the Nisab today? I checked the website, so that's right? a bit so unfair. So an example, <laughs> no, but no, what I'm saying yeah. is like, if somebody says, I have given somebody Zakat because I know they're eligible, and you say to him, what's the Nisab today? And he doesn't know, that means mm. you didn't do it properly. Mm. 
So the nisab of silver, the, the time of the there was two nisabs, one silver or gold. And there was time when silver was more than gold, worth more than gold. So you can use either of the two of the two nisabs, right? So the grams of gold, the grams of silver. That is like if you take an analogy in the tax. So the tax is like after eighteen thousand or something, you you eighteen thousand below, you don't pay any tax, right? So once you earn yeah. more than that, you start paying tax. So the nisab is basically saying that if you had, the, so the the gold nisab today I think was seven thousand something, and the silver nisab is six hundred, right? So what it's saying is that. The scholars say for calculating your zakah, whether you're eligible to pay, you should go for the lower one of the two of the nisab. You can use either, but they recommend that you use the, the, the lower one. So currently silver. So if silver is today 600 and today's your zakah anniversary, that means if from last year on this date, Hijra, not Gregorian, mm. if you go by Gregorian, you have to make it 2.65, not 2.5. So last year, this time to today, if you had $600 or more throughout that year, you're, you should pay zakah on all the money you have. So if on 15th of Ramadan last year, I had $600, yep. and 15th of Ramadan this year, I have 2000 because I just went up, do I pay 2.5% on the 600 or the 2000 So either way. So the zakah is due on the money. Remember, on the money. Okay. Okay. So we recommend, so there's the hard way of doing things and there's the easy way of doing things. Right? So the hard way of things, most people like to do the hard way. So let's do the easy way first. The easy way is like, okay, okay, 600, 700, 800, 2,000, 3,000, 700, 800. Now my anniversary is today. I've got 2,000. Okay? So you have one of three things you can do. One, you pay on the amount you have on your anniversary. So you pay on 2,000. You can't go wrong with that. Yeah. Two, you pay on the highest amount you had across the year. So let's say at one point you had 4,000. You pay on 4,000, mm. okay? Or you pay on the amount that you had above the nisab the whole year. So let's say you had 600, 700, 800. So the 600 is the, the median, right? All the way through. So you pay on 600. What's the problem with that? Maybe people will look for shortcuts. No, no. If you do that, technically you've paid zakah properly mm. on your anniversary. What's the problem with that is that if you had Ras Ramadan, Ramadan, you had 600. Then you had 700 the next month. Then you had 2,000. Then you had 800. Then you had 600. Then you had 600. Then you had 2,000. So the 600 is fine. But now, the next month when you had 1,000, the zakah, the 400 is due next month. After the 15th of Ramadan, mm. 15th of Shaba, 15th of, 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 of Shawal. Shawal, the 400, the, the due on the 400 is due now. Because the, because the the years passed on it. Oh, okay. So yeah. now you've changed your whole to the money instead of your anniversary. Mm. You see? So what happens is that the, the zakah is due on the money that's passed for a whole year over it. So that means you then have to pay zakah every month. But if you do it the other way, which is paying on the what you have on your anniversary on the highest or the highest amount, you've covered yourself. You only okay. paid them once. What happens if, because 600, like you said, it's a safe number because of that more zakat gets spread in the community, which is obviously a benefit. And if we're talking about 600, 2.5%, it's like $12 or something like so that. So on 10000 $10, it's $250. So it's not a lot. It's not like a lot. Compared mm. to what people pay in taxes when they make 10000 yep. a year. What happens if, for example, you have 600 and then throughout the year you go down? So, so if, if you go below the nisab, you, you, you start, sort of start again. So if the nisab is 600 and you went down to 400, 300, mm. 
your 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 clock starts again uh, until you get back to the nisab again. Then it's that first so month. Oh. If it's the fifteenth of Ramadan, I have six hundred dollars. Then I spend that money. I go on holiday. Fifteenth of Shawwal, I reach six hundred again. Is that my new anniversary? No, if you go below the nisab, yeah, I go back to zero. Yeah, you go back to zero. Then when you have six hundred again, so you have to have the nisab for the whole year to make you eligible. Okay. But once again, that requires you to manage all of this. But mm. easy way is to say. My anniversary is 15th of Ramadan. Mm. Whatever I have on that day, doesn't matter how much I had throughout the year, I'm paying on this. Especially talking about $600, yeah. most people, at least over 20 So coming back to that particular point, the, re- this the gold nisab, so if you only have gold, you've got no cash, you ju- only gold, you have to use the gold nisab for your, for your calculations. So the scholars recommend, so when we do an assessment of uh, a, a client, we use the gold nisab. So the difference being, to benefit both, right? So if we do an assessment of somebody, they have to be below the nisab to be zakah eligible. Mm. So if we use 600, very few people will be not eligible. Mm-hmm. Will be eligible, I mean. So we use the gold nisab for eligibility. So when we assess somebody, if they below the 7,000, they become eligible for with some yeah. other rules and to do, to do that. So that's how it is calculated and how it's done. And obviously, it's a bit different with um, when we're talking about gold and silver. But trying to calculate um, the amount, you said it would take a lot of time. But how about just a rough idea of what you need to calculate? Is it just money in the bank account? Is it like my computer? Is it my books? So zakah is, is due. Zakah is only due that ha- on things that can increase in value. So simply understood, for the average person like yourself, it's money, physical money, gold and silver, and even cryptocurrency now. Car, anything, laptop, no. nothing like that. No car, no laptop, no, no house, no shoes. You can have ten suits, you can have ten bags, ladies' shoes, whatever. Even There's not even the car on diamonds. Even if they, even if they can increase in value, they still not. No, it's not zakatable. Okay, okay. not zakatable. So only the only thing that's zakatable is money. So if you is money in gold and silver. Mm. Right in cryptocurrencies, the stuff that's like in the finance space, that's all zakatable. And then there's obviously the, the, the animals and the, the crops and stuff. So that's a completely different subject. But for our ev- for our purposes, mm-hmm. that's what it is. So if you have two cars, three cars, unless unless your three cars is part of you, uh, that's your business. Mm-hmm. You sell cars, mm-hmm. buy and sell cars, that becomes your inventory now. Mm. Okay, so it's the why you buy the thing. And how yeah. about we do have sisters in the audience for them who have jewelry. Because I remember before you said it, you have to be very, like, the calculating is part of the ibadah. It's a very important aspect, if not the most important. How can they calculate the worth of maybe their bracelets or earrings? So or two, two things for the sisters. One, pay your zakah, calculate your zakah, and pay your zakah yourself. Don't let your husband do it. There's nothing wrong if he does. But it's important. It's an act of ibadah. So why do you say, like, ah, I don't have to do zakah. My husband's mm. doing it. Mm. He's getting the reward. There's so much reward in the calculation. Secondly, the sister, so we have an example of a brother, his father passed away. And then when they looked at the, the mom set with the kids and they looked at like all of his inheritance and this, and much like lots of properties, the mom did not know what belonged to her, what belonged to who. She said, oh, dad said this is yours, dad said I, this is for me, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Right? So what we say to the sisters is, if she calculated her own zakah, she would have known what belonged to her because she would have had to ask, answer that question. Right? So fortunately, they managed to sort out the inheritance. But what we're saying to sisters is, and mashallah, a lot of sisters who are married have money that the husbands don't know about. Right? Mm. Right? So they hide some yeah. money. 
So you guys, you better watch that. Anyway, so <laughs> that's a different subject. Sorry, sisters. But what happens is that the husband might calculate his car, and he doesn't know about the money she's hiding, right? Hiding. But as long as she can, she doesn't want to tell him. She pays the car. He's paid the car, but she needs to pay the car on the money that she's uh, she's not telling him about. Then it comes to the jewelry. So funny thing is in Ramadan, most people like call up for us to say like we have need some help with questions. They say which madhab you're going to use for us to do our calculation or give your fiqh ruling. So which madhab would you like? Like which one would you mm. <laughs> would you like? And the funny thing is, ninety nine percent of people ask this question a Hanafi. And then when you say Hanafi, they go oh, okay that's good. So why why are we happy with that? Because Hanafi is the strictest. Mm. <laughs> Hanafi is the strictest in, in when it comes to zakat, mm. right? So the Hanafi madhab is most of the sisters who don't pay on gold and silver are Hanafi, and this is the madhab that says you need to pay on it. Mm. You need oh. to pay on the gold and mm. silver, right? Now there's different hadith of different scholars. We're not saying that you need to study this stuff. You need to understand what you follow. Now, if you're saying like anything else, if you're following a ruling of a particular sheikh and you're happy with that sheikh and you are, you trust him, whatever, that's fine. That's fine. We're, not saying, we're not saying don't do that. But we're saying is that when it comes to an act of ibadah, like hajj, you're not studying. If the sheikh's going, you're missing out on your actual rewards. Same with salah. The imam's leading the prayer, but you need to know what to do. Mm. All right. Similarly with zakah, the imam might say that's his point of view, but do you need to understand it? Do you understand what that is? Why is there rules for these things? When the Prophet said to Aisha Rajalanha, when she had the bangles, this is a sahih hadith. He said to her, did you pay zakat? He didn't say, let's get together later, we'll discuss how we're going to calculate. No, he said, did you? Mm. This is the wife mm. of the Prophet Did you pay zakat? Mm. Because you know what, on the day of Qiyamah, so there's very strong ruling on this. about. So we recommend, we say, stay on the side of caution. And if you're wrong at the end of the day, halas, you have no drama. But if you're wrong, if you if 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 it turns out you are supposed to pay, you didn't pay, mm. you'll be accountable for the, the stuff you didn't pay. Mm. And yeah. The sisters sit with gold and silver. They every year we get the, the amount of money they have, the amount of stuff that they sit there. One more thing that people need, don't need to be confused about is the nisab and the calculation are two different things. So what happens? The sister might say, "Look, I've so the nisab for gold is eighty-five grams, right? To get that, so it's eighty-five gra grams of gold." To to determine the nisab value, that's the, how to calculate the value of nisab. Now, sister says, "Look, I only have fifty grams of gold. I don't need to pay zakah." Hmm. So they're mixing the two things. This yeah. is separate matters. So she has 80, 50 grams of gold, but she's got twenty thousand in the bank. She's eligible hmm. to pay zakah. Hmm. So if, if the fifty grams of gold is all she has, that's all she has. Then yes, she's, she she falls under that. But you, they need to separate. The two aspect of nisab from the gold and silver to the gold and silver of jewelry. It's two separate matters. Mm. Okay. Mm. And people are able to contact uh, NZF through the website and like have a consultation and talk to them about it? We do many things. You can consult us. You can call us. You can come and chat. You can email me. You can call me at home. You can visit me at home. I can come to your house. We just send an email to say to people, you want to do a zakat tour? We can come to your house. We can come to your mosque. Wherever. We are ready and able for free to come and talk to you about this beautiful pillow of zakah mm. and to help you calculate it. And at the same time, we don't expect you to give us your money. Mm -hmm. our, our fundamental goal, implement the pillow of zakah in Australia, help you with this ibadah, this act of ibadah, calculate properly, understand it, and get the benefit from it mm. with no conditions. It doesn't mean I'm going to come and talk to you, you need to give your money to NZF. No, because our goal is to make and raise the education about the subject. Especially among the young, the people who are starting to work now. When do I need to pay my zakah? 
We do special lessons on zakah for sisters because there's some unique things there. Secondly, we do uh, uh, lessons on mizzakah. So now somebody suddenly is like, oh, I learned now, understand about it, but hey, I haven't paid zakah for the last five years. So we do a lot of these calculations, help people how to actually so get to... So you're accountable if you've missed it? Of course you are. And for example, there's the number you said that's 7,600. Remember, our deen, ignorance is not an excuse. Mm. This is a pillar. So you can't say, I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't know I was supposed to pray five times a day. Does it sound crazy? Mm. Like if somebody says, oh, the reason I didn't pray is because I didn't know I was supposed to pray. You go like, where's he from? Yeah, right? that doesn't make Sounds sense. Sounds crazy, right? So how can a person say, well, I didn't pay the car because I didn't know about it. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Mm. So you go back, okay, you, you need to, like fasting, for fasting you missed, uh, you need to pay it back. Similarly, uh, 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 for the zakah, if you didn't know, you, you understand it now, you logically go, hey, it's a debt you owe to Allah. Mm. It's a debt that you owe to Allah. You need to go back, fix it up, and pay it. Mm. Because it's obviously a lot harder to calculate and stuff like that, and sometimes it gets a bit um, difficult with numbers, can we pick the gold number, Nisab, which is higher, which is 7,000? Can we use that for the missed years? Or because, for so example, the missed years, you don't ha- so fancy what you would do. If you calculate the missed years, so let's say we're going to calculate for the last three years for yourself as an example. So you can go back because you can find the nisab of there. But you can say, look, I don't care what the nisab was, right? And i going back now 2019, 2021. So 2019, look, I've got my bank accounts, but I, I'm fairly certain that I had on my anniversary roundabout, I had about 4,000. And I didn't have more than that, but I know I had less, right? So you say 2.5% of 4,000, done for 2019. Forget nisab, whatever, then. 2020, oh, I was a lean year, I only about 2,000, I didn't have much, you know, it was a tough year, whatever. You're paying 2.5% on 2,000. 2.21, mashallah, was a great year. I had 15,000, right? But I didn't have it for the whole year. I only had it for six months. But I can't remember how much I had for the whole year. Halas, you pay on 15,000 for the whole year. So remember, you're trying to fix something. Mm. So you earn the side of caution. You're actually trying to like... When I'm trying to fix something, there's no point in trying to still be stingy when you're fixing something. Mm. right? You are trying to reach to Allah. So an example, what does zakah actually mean? Zakah means to, to increase and to purify. Prophet said, in every thousand, the $25 in there that you have is contaminated the whole money. So any money that you have that's not zakah has not been paid, all your money is contaminated. It's dirty. So to clean it, to purify it, you have to take it out and hand it to the person that needs it. Mm. Then you've purified your money. And then it also increases you. Now, for us, if I say to you, you have $10,000, and I say, give me two fifty, right? And how much you've got left? $9,750, right? Is that more or less than $10,000? Less. Less. But Allah tells you it's more. Mm. Allah said, I have just, if you paid it, I have just increased it for you. Mm -hmm. But because we don't believe in the barakah that Allah has already promised us, we get scared. Now, because not tangible. Have you ever seen a person with less money do more than a person with a lot of money? Many right, times yeah. you see examples of this. Is the barakah and the money? Give an example. The COVID. We were allowed to take out ten grand, two thousand nineteen. Another ten grand, two thousand twenty. Right from from our super. So everybody took out their super. So when we said to people, "Hey, by the way, it's zakatable," because one of the conditions of zakah is. As soon as you have access to the money, it becomes cuttable. So your super, you don't pay on your super because you don't have access. You don't own the money. Mm. You don't have it. It's not in your hand. As soon as it becomes in your hand, halas, it's due now, straight away. Because you haven't paid all that time. So now the guys took that 10,000. Yeah, he, 
zakat, you know, it was difficult times. So they went to the sheikhs. Everybody, there was so many people come. The sheikh said, no, because it's difficult times, covert, we will err on the, f- they give a fatwa ruling, you don't need to pay on this, right? I said to them, okay, no problem. I'm going to argue with the sheikh. I'm not a scholar. I'm not a sheikh. I'm going to argue with you. I'm going to give you a practical example. Now, most of the guys that I spoke to, they took out the 10, 20,000, right? Just in case they needed it. Many needed it, but there was many that just in case I needed it. I said, okay, let's say you took your 10,000, you're one of the guys, just in case you needed it. And I come to you, MCCA, or somebody says to you, look, if you invest your money with us for the next six months, we'll give you a return of 2%, 3%, maybe, maybe four even. You think, hey, I don't need this money, I'm just taking this. I'm put it in here, I'm going to get an increase of 2.5%, 3%. Possibly, possibly. You're ready to do that because it's tangible, it makes sense to you. But you don't want to pay the 250 mm. When Allah already says to you, guaranteed you, Allah guaranteed you, if you pay your zakah, I've already increased it for you. And you don't even know, Bahamas, not even what, what 2%. Allah said, I will increase it for you. You don't know what by what mm. multitude is increased and the barakah in it. Mm. So when I finish with people, they go and say, yeah, here's your 250 take it. Mm. Because it cleansed it, it purified it, and it increased it for you. Why wouldn't you pay it? Subhanallah, it's a very interesting thing. Um, I also found out that um, zakat is tax deductible. And obviously just the idea of having a tax deductible, where is should our perspective be on that? Because sometimes like giving, we're giving to purify our wealth, but then we also get something back when we do our tax return. So our intentions kind of change sometimes. Zakat so itself is not tax deductible. It's not? No, zakat okay. itself is not tax deductible. Okay. Mm. So an example, what happens you give me $2,000. Right? In your zakah. You gave me your zakah bill that you calculated, you owe $2,000 in zakah. So you give it to me. So how much did you give me? $2,000. $2,000. NZF distributes, how much have you distributing? $2,000. Right? Mm. So this is a zakah transaction. Mm. Done. Okay? Now, tax time comes around. You go to the tax man, the government says, okay, uh, what have you done? So the tax man says, what's your income, what's your tax you paid? Okay, here, here are allowable deductions to reduce the tax we'll take from you. Uniform, internet use, car, petrol, and any DGR charity you've given money to, you can allow legally deduct from what you've given them and we'll reduce your tax liability. Right? Mm. So now you've paid me 2000 you can put 2000 there, so you, you pay less tax on the 2000 of your total amount. So, so your total income was 80000 for the year uh, uh, and you paid your tax. Now it says you can deduct this 2000 plus everything else from the amount that the government will charge tax for you. So it's a tax matter. The 2000 zakah you've paid, the 2000 zakah you've given, we've distributed. Mm. All right? Now, that's the, that's the argument. It's as simple as that. Now, if somebody doesn't feel like they they more, you know, okay, no problem. The government is going to take your money anyway. Mm. So why don't you just claim it and give it back to me? <laughs> Simple. Yeah. Now, how many people have given it back to me? After the mm. argument, they've gone for the tax, but have they given it back? No, because now he's happy. He mm. got it back. Yeah. Now he's convinced. Or buy your wife a gift, buy yourself a gift if you're not controlled. Now, you give it back to me, you can claim it again now <laughs> because you've given it me 2,000. Yeah, yeah. right? So th- it's a tax matter, not a zakat matter because the zakat transaction hasn't diminished in any form. Because when you get... Uh, 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 Say from the two thousand, you get like say two hundred dollars back from the tax. You've already paid your d- d- zakah. You didn't get two hundred dollars zakah back. Mm. 
you got $200 tax back. Mm. Not everybody lives in the discussion that I'm giving you. Mm. I don't expect everybody to, but if the brother or sister feels like they don't want to take it, I say don't leave it to the government, take it and give it away as sadaqah to the, the masjid. It's a good Not option to have, you know, it's mm. just it, so they can be conscious of it. And I wanted to also touch on the zakat anniversary because a lot of people probably don't even have a day. So, for example, it's the middle of Ramadan now. They want to give zakat for the first time next week. And zakat, you know, Ramadan, twi- 25th of Ramadan, they're going to go give their zakat. So the next year, that's like, it's a nice month to give and stuff like that. How about for the brothers who, their zakat anniversary, because they're, they're for the first time they reached $600, was 15th of Rajab. They want to have the Ramadan feeling where I give my 1,000, 2,000. Is there anything they can do or is it? No, no, there is. So, so if you don't have a Zakat anniversary date already, you're in trouble. Mm, right? True. You're already in trouble. Because you don't have a date, that means you've never paid it correctly. Because one of the conditions is to have a point of reference to calculate your Zakat. Mm. So if you don't have a point of reference, you're, you're guessing. You're making this stuff up. So like in tax, again, 30th of June is the end of the financial year. No matter what you do on the 1st of July, you can't claim it in the previous year. Right? So there's rules. Zakah is the same. Now, if you say like, okay, look, I'm thinking I better do it now today. After listening, you say, I better sort this out. You say, okay, I'll, I'll calculate my zakah up to today. And I'll try and work it back. But I want to remember my anniversary, so I'll make it Ramadan. Okay, so now say today is the 15th of Rajab. And, and, and I'm going to calculate from today and go back. And then and I'm going to calculate again in, in Ramadan. Then you need to make sure you fill this gap between 15th of Rajab and the day in Ramadan you choose. And you pay this, and then you can start again. Mm. With your, 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 you can you've basically reset your anniversary. Yeah, because you don't want to miss the previous. Yeah, so you don't want to miss this part. Yeah. So it sounds complicated, but it's not. It's not as complicated as it sounds. Once you've done it once, you'll see that it's, it's very easy. But you need to remember. So the reason a lot of people pay in Ramadan is because it is easy to remember. It's easy to remember. Mm. And I think a lot of people, it's maybe it's complicated because they haven't put enough effort towards it. Like when we want to learn about Salat, we go to classes, watch YouTube videos, read books about it, and then it's like it becomes not that complicated and easy to understand because of how much time you've put towards it. But Zakat, people want to calculate it in an hour, pay it in 10 minutes, and forget about it for the next year. And Example. that's why it becomes difficult for a lot of people. What is the precondition for Salah? You can't make Salah without? Wudu. Right? So no matter what you do, your Salah is invalid. It's invalid. Because the precondition for salah is you had to make wudu. Mm. Now, if you don't know how to make wudu, how are you going to make salah? Mm. So if you don't know how to calculate your zakah, everything else doesn't add up. Mm. It's, it's going to be wrong. Mm. Because firstly, you don't do it properly. It's not accurate enough. It's you, d- you didn't pay the intention to do this properly. And uh, as an example with wudu, people jump in the shower. So you jump in the shower and I make wudu. Right? I, I, we've both come in, we've had a very busy day outside in the sun and the heat and whatever, right? You jump in the shower, have a nice shower, I make wudu. Who's cleaner physically? Shower. The shower guy, right? Mm. But can he make salah? Can he make salah? Uh, no. No, he can't. Mm. He didn't make wudu. Mm. He didn't make wudu. Unless he made intention made wudu in the shower, but mm. I'm just assuming he didn't. Mm. I am less clean physically, but I have fulfilled my wudu obligation. Mm. So the calculation of zakah, you can't just brush it over and guess it. You have to be precise, mm. make the intention and do it properly. You might get it wrong as an example, but at least you've done the condition of it. Because you said we might get it wrong, should we add like $20 as this leeway money? I've said it, people, live the easy way, 
do it on the highest amount and if you earn the side yalla yalla go for the higher amount mm-hmm. and you make your intention Allah if I if I forgot or missed something please add this to that part right you know how we make sunnah salahs to cover for the fards we've missed etc and then uh, earn the side of caution to pay a little bit more some people I tell you they give they will give me zakah $20.45 they will give it to me in cash mm. as an example or even transfer $20.45 do you think like you say, yes, well, $21 mm. <laughs> like $21 yeah, exactly. just to make yeah. sure if it's like the 64 cents 65 cents like just yeah. to cover myself up. but they want to be precise there's nothing wrong yeah. but it's just like you you if you just calculate a little bit wrong at least go to and some people when we do sort of the the the, the missed zakah so they want to go on the stove I said brother you're trying to fix yourself up you're trying to fix this mm. don't be that precise in in in, in trying every and single and like 2.5% like of $100 like it's $2.50 so if $2. you're going to add $500 you're adding like $20 250 mm. of 10,000 that's yeah. what I normally give people because that's an easy one to remember 25 of every thousand yeah. how much is that it's yeah. like nothing mm-hmm. you have to you go to for a breakfast uh, and you already spent it. <laughs> I know, yeah. like even like the churches, because I was reading one like finance book. Dave Ramsey, he's a very well-known finance guy, and he <coughs> talks about at his church, it's everyone gives twenty percent of their earnings. And it's like in their religion, that's a normal thing. Yeah. And it's like that's twenty percent. We'll ask for two point five. It's like not even of your earnings. Yeah. Not even of your earnings. It's not a tax. Allah is so so just that two point five is not of your earnings. Mm. It is of the money you had extra for a whole year. Mm. Right? It's not people in some countries they deduct the zakah on a monthly basis from people's salary. This is Islamically incorrect because mm. that's not what Allah has ordained. Allah says 2.5% of the money that you had extra for a whole year. Mm. The design of zakah is for you to use your money. So if I'm sitting on 50k and not doing anything with it, I need to pay zakah on it. Mm. Right? But the idea is, is to spend it, uh, do something, open a business, do something with it. Let the money grow and let the economy grow. Mm. That's the design of Pillar of Zakah. Mm. Did you have any questions to end it off, or um, I wanted to know about the like the transition people would go through in like my age or you know, Ashraf's age, and that where it's like you're living at home, your dad's kind of taking care of Zakat every year, but then it's obviously going to come to a stage where you're going to eventually move out and you're going to have to pay yourself. What do you recommend for people like our age? So it depends. I'm I'm guessing you have your own bank account. Yeah. Right. And in and, and the early days when your dad paid, so if, it, for instance, parents who are saving for their kids, you know, they own a bank account for them and they put money in there for their, for their when they get older, zakah is due on that money. So it's a pillar that doesn't have an age uh, uh, limitation, mm-hmm. right? So the zakah is due on that money, even if it's a child's money. So the, pa- the father needs to pay it or the child needs to pay it. Somebody needs to pay it. So if you, you started working on your own bank accounts, you started dealing with your own money, unless your dad has money of yours, you are now responsible. Similarly to when you became... Uh, an adult and you start to make your salah you become accountable for that you're accountable for zakah as well and on that for example we calculate from when I was 10 we had $600 in that account should I do separate trans- should I do separate payments for each one or can I just lump them all together so you just make your intention 2019 it's $200 2020 I owe $400 2021 I owe $300 you add the two all of them up your intention is there that mm. this is the this is the amount that I'm outstanding for the last three years mm. unless you pay it Mm. Very, very informative. I think a lot of people are going to have a lot of takeaways from this episode. And I feel like it's good if people do have questions. You guys are very welcoming in asking those. Reach out. That's what we do. Our goal is to educate you. Our goal is to help you to, to help calculate it. So 
I'm happy to, we come to people's homes, we talk on the phone, uh, we email people. Mm-hmm. So that's what we do. Alhamdulillah. Jazakallah khairan for coming on. Yeah, I think a lot of people are going to love this episode and inshallah there's a lot of action that comes from it. Inshallah. It does mean a lot to us. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Jazakallah khairan. I hope you guys did enjoy the episode. Remember to like, comment and subscribe and pay us a cat soon, inshallah. <laughs>